at Mount Airy Lodge or Pocono Gardens. Do all the things you've wanted to do all summer, all day, all night. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Call 966-7210 for reservations at Pocono Gardens and beautiful Mount Airy Lodge. Hello and welcome back to Mountain Comics, the show where I look back at the comic books I bought while on vacation in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania in the 1970s and 1980s. And joining me in the cabin for this season premiere episode is fellow network all-star, Paul Kian. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the cabin. Hey, Rob. Thanks for inviting me up here. It's a beautiful view of the lake from here. <laughs> Man, I, uh, I have to get up here more often. This is awesome. It's pretty sweet. Uh, I hope you like you. So, uh, <laughs> yes, this is, as I said, this is the season premiere of Mount Comics. This is the first show we're doing for the 2022 year. The show... Uh, really wasn't going last year. I managed to do two episodes just to kind of make sure I the show didn't completely go away. But I had so many other things going on this year that I put Mount Comics on hiatus. But it's back this year, and I'm very excited to talk about a bunch of really, let's say, interesting comics that I bought. <laughs> <laughs> but interesting comics that I bought, of course, during the 70s and 80s while uh, while I was vacationing up in the Poconos. And of course, this is the first episode of Mount Comics that the with the show on its own feed normally. Mountain Comics up until this point was part of the FW Presents feed. But once I sort of you know realized that, geez, we're at, this is episode 34, it just felt like, you know, I think the show should be its own thing. It doesn't, you know, the FW yeah. Presents feed is overstuffed. It's a keeper, um, this, right. this show, right? Yeah, Thank you, you very much. I appreciate you saying that. And But I mean, that the FW Presents feed is like overstuffed. Like we, mm-hmm. <laughs> between all, you know, nine of us or whatever, however many you want to count, we really fill that that feed. And I was like, you know what? Let me pull it off its own thing. So Mountain Comics has its own thing. So if you're listening to this show on the all-in-one network feed, you can go to any podcatcher of your choice, look up Mountain Comics, and subscribe to it. That way it's its own show, and I really would appreciate you doing that. So the first comic that we're going to be covering for uh, Mountain Comics this season is Dazzler, <laughs> number eight. And I don't mean this in, a, in any sort of nasty way, but this is, a, you know, it was an indication of how desperate I was for comic reading content that I bought <laughs> Dazzler. And I don't mean to, I'm not trying to insult Dazzler at all, but I'm just saying that as a 10 year old, well, I wouldn't, oh, God, I, yeah, I was just turning 10 in 1981. Dazzler was definitely on the low end of my, you know, of the kind of books <laughs> I wanted to purchase. So, it, you know, I must've really been like, well, there's some Archies and there's like maybe a fight in army if I try. I think I'll go with Dazzler. You know what I mean? But we'll talk about this, this comic in question. Before we, we get to the book, Paul, a couple of questions I want to ask you. First of all, do you have anything like this in your history? Like, do you have any like comics that you bought on vacation and you can sort of like mentally think of them in that context? Yeah. A couple, couple things. I don't have the, Outstanding recall of remembering where I bought all my comics, individual <laughs> ones like you do, Rob. But um, we, while we, I have been to the Poconos before. I also, like Rob, I live in New Jersey. I've been there, but not, but more as an adult. I, we did not vacation there when I was a kid. We were more Jersey Shore uh, types. And, you know, I had some places down there. Anytime we went anywhere, I would, you know, have my bike and I'd zooming around trying to find places that sold comics. And there were a couple places and, Ocean City and Seattle City, New Jersey, where we went, that um, I was able to pick up pick up comics for sure. 
Um, my favorite summer comic remem- memory is picking up Spider-Man number 150, which was the conclusion of the first Clone Saga. And so That's I got that issue. in Ocean City. I got that in Ocean City, New Jersey. You know, so, you know, I, I, I did not buy Dazzler, uh, however. <laughs> uh, you know, I was a little older. I would have been 15 around, around this time. But, uh, but I, I still had not bought Dazzler at that time. Yeah, you mentioned, uh, Paul just mentioned, of course, that he's been to the Poconos because, Paul mentioned, he is from New Jersey. I think, Paul, I'm pretty sure that of all the members of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, you and I live the closest to one another. Probably, uh, I, I think. think. We're only about 20, 25 minutes away from one another. We've had lunch together and things like that, which has been uh, marvelous. But yeah, I Absolutely. don't think any two members of the network are as close in uh, geography as, as we are. So yeah, you would have you know, potentially you know, trod the same boards as I did. Now, my parents, we were not beach people. So we did not mm-hmm. go to the, we didn't go to the, the shore very much. So I probably never bought comics down there. Everything mm-hmm. would have been up in the, the Poconos. And um, again, one more thing I want to get to before we get to Dazzler is um, a little bit of some unfortunate news that I learned today was that, and I, I mentioned this on, I forget what episode I meant, many of it, like very early on. But um, I, you know, we used to go to the Poconodes every year with my parents. And then once I went to college, I stopped going as regularly. I kind of went, I would go like a week with that. I would drive up separately. You know, once I was driving myself and things like that, um, I found other things to do. And so the last time that I ever went up there was 1992. Then uh, in a bout of nostalgia, which, you know, of course, is like <laughs> the, the, the corner of the realm here at the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Welcome to uh, our world. Yeah, welcome to our world. Totally. Um, I went back in 2015, we drove up there for the day and we checked it out. And, you know, of course, the place is very different. There's a lot more development. There's a lot more hotels. There's a lot, you know, and a lot of the little mom and pop newsstands that I spent time in buying my comics were gone. Just sure. no longer there. There were a couple that were still there, but they no longer sold comics. You know, because of course comics are just like you can't find them anywhere outside of comic book stores anymore. And that was disappointing, but still it was a fun trip because some things had remained the same. The cabin was the same, and there was a lot of things that were the same. But we went to the very small town of Hawley, which is basically just like one road. That is the closest that they consider a town to the, where our cabin would be. And there was a, a um, you know, kind of like a souvenir store, sundries type store mm-hmm. called the Trading Post on the main drag. And I, that used, I used to buy a lot of my comics in there. They had a great selection. They had black and white magazines. Mm-hmm. So that was a big deal. I've talked about some of them on the show, Savage Sword of Conan. And, Warren Magazine. Yeah, Warren, and Empire Encounters, all that great stuff. And I went in the store, and not only was the store still there, but they still sold comics. Very they cool. still sold comics. And I bought one of everything they had. <laughs> I was so, I didn't care what it was. And it cost me like $40 because comics are ridiculous now. And I even told the, the woman that ran the place, oh, I used to come here as a kid. And she was, oh, that's wonderful, blah, blah, blah. And I took a picture of of myself with the comics and i put it up on our twitter on the mountain comics twitter feed so anyway that was 2015 and so kelly and i have been my fiance kelly and i have been talking about going back i want to show her uh this thing she's seen all the photos but i want to take her and kind of show her around so i think the plan is we're going to go this summer uh for like a quick jaunt uh before the uh the (laughs) the hugeness of the wedding in october nuptials yeah the wedding nuptials kicks in so uh, I I uh, I went online and I looked up the trading post to see if it's still in business. 
It is. I was very excited. Oh, this is great. Jake Post. But I looked at the photos. Some didn't look right because there's Mm. photos of the inside of the store. And I know that store like the back of my hand because I spent so much time in there. And I look and I'm like, wait, that's a row of greeting cards where the window is. (laughs) They weren't used to be there. And I thought maybe, did they maybe move the magazine? So I called the store and I asked them, do you sell magazines and comic books? And they said, no, not anymore. Oh, dagger through the heart. So I bought my last 2015. I bought my last comic book. Uh, certainly at the trading post, maybe forever in the Poconos. I, there might be another newsstand somewhere that I visited that might still have comics. I probably, probably not. So it might be over. I, like I said, if we go back, I will, I will relay the trip on the show. Uh, but, but yeah, it might, it might be it. So this, this, the, 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 um, the handle Mount comics might be it. it is now a finite source <laughs> and I will cover them all at some point and then that will be it. So that was a little disappointing to hear, but not unexpected because as we know, nobody tells, nobody sells comics outside of comic stores anymore. Well, I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. You can't go home again as uh, I was Nero Wolf said or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, all right, let's talk about Dazzler number eight. This is one. This was on sale June twenty third, nineteen eighty one. It's cover dated October, nineteen eighty one. And you know, kind of going to repeating a, a thing that I've mentioned on previous shows. You know, back in the newsstand days, um, the whole comics uh, would sit on the shelves, and if the news vendor wasn't paying attention, uh, older issues would still be on the stands. And so, this was a book that was on sale a full six weeks before I showed up at the Poconos, but it was still there. Uh, even though another Dazzler had come out at that point, but newsstand vendors didn't care about that stuff. Probably they weren't paying too much attention. Especially so in like vacation towns. It was like that down the shore too. Cause they, yep. you know, they, they, the, the, the clientele would change every week. Right. So, yep. you know, you never know what you can, what you can sell. So yep. yeah, absolutely. Same thing. And then obviously they sold this old issue of Dazzler to this kid there for 50 go. cents. So <laughs> mm-hmm. the cover features uh Dazzler, Covered in uh, orange, red, and yellow, kind of, kind of slightly demonic look. And she says, "You, you threatened my friends and almost killed me. Now it's my turn." And she is, um, by the way, incredibly busty. Uh, this <laughs> dazzler is not really known to be this pneumatic. It is drawn by Bill Sinkevich yep. and Klaus Jansen. Yep. I mean, wow. Um, now, you know, not to get uh, too far ahead of ourselves, but Paul, I think I'm going to make the safe assumption that you like me you think this is the cover is by far the best thing in this comic book uh, absolutely when you when you sent me the list of available books for this season i looked at them and i said whoa i said that's an awesome cover and mm-hmm. I, I i and it and sure enough it was Sinkevich and and um klaus jensen and i was like i, I want to read this and it's funny because uh, I, like I said, I had not read it before and I had not read, I I'd read stories about Dazzler and the X-Men and, and Spider-Man, but I hadn't read the series, but a, a year or two ago, when I, whenever Comixology has their big Marvel Masterworks sales, I bought two versions of Marvel Masterworks, you know, digital copies, you know, for, I don't know, two ninety nine or three nine, whatever it is uh, on sale. And uh, they were sitting in my digital to read pile, which, you know, yeah. And I said, well, this would give me a good reason to read it. So I did an experiment. I read number eight without having read the others. Aha. Uh-huh. 
And uh, then I went back. I read that, you know, whatever day it was, Saturday, Sunday. And then I went back uh, over the last couple of days and read the other issues to see if I uh, gleaned anything different. Uh, it, hold, it held up as a one and done uh, story. Uh, you know, you get a pretty much a complete story in here with dangling subplots. But, uh, but, that, but, but number one reason I picked it is, is, is cover without question. And and you know again not to not I'm not trying to besmirch the book because there is there's actually some nice things to say about it. I mean we'll yeah, get I to thoroughly it. enjoyed but, it. But the cover is way more exciting than anything happens in the yeah, book. I mean absolutely. like you know I mean you're just she doesn't get any she doesn't she looks kind of like uh, you know a little like possess possessedish you know a little a little like magic like uh, Colossus's sister. Yes, yes, she looks completely. a little like her. Right. Um, you know, but without the horns, but. Uh, but but yeah, you're absolutely right. The cover is is uh, you know is outstanding. Pops off the page without question. Yeah, I mean the colors are beautiful. The blue background and you know again you've got uh, you know Sienkiewicz and Klaus Janssen. I mean for Pete's sakes, I mean that's yep. like one of the dynamite teams. Uh, I uh, after I finished reading this comic again, I went back and I went to Mike's Amazing World and I looked up all the issues of Dazzler just to see if I could get any sort of glim. Uh, Grim, uh, what am I saying? A glimmer, excuse me, memory of, did I read any of these other ones? <laughs> I know I read number one. I remember buying number one because it was okay. a number one and mm-hmm. the Spider-Man and like Nightcrawler on the covers. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, guest stars. Some of the other covers look vaguely familiar, but I mm-hmm. wonder that I see them in ads or Marvel Age and I'm just a little more familiar with them. I don't know if I ever bought another issue of Dazzler other mm-hmm. than this one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it, 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 it's interesting. It's, it was a, a different, it was an experiment for them. It ran a decent long time. You know, I read 42 that, issues. That's yeah. That's, you know, know, that's a good run. Uh, in the masterworks, there was a, uh, an introduction by Danny Fingeroth that I read. Um, and he talked about, you know, the development of the character. It was going to be this big deal. They were originally going to model Dazzler after first they were, they were looking at Grace Jones and Whoa. then they were looking at Bo Derek. And then they, you know, they just, went with a more, you know, regular comic book looking female character. Uh, and, you know, it was interesting. And the first two issues were written, it was supposed to be some sort of special, like one of those Marvel specials and they split it up. And then she actually appeared in X-Men first uh, before the, her comic came out. So it was an interesting a little history for her, but, um, but yeah, it's, I didn't, I did not buy a single issue of her series. Yeah. And again, when I was looking at the covers of the series on Mike's Amazing World, a large percentage of them were drawn by Sienkiewicz, mm-hmm. either by him and Jansen, and then later on when he kind of adapted into his more kind of painterly style. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that was the point where Sienkiewicz was a superstar mm-hmm. in comics. And, you know, I don't, I, this is just a um, supposition on my part. I haven't talked to Mr. Sienkiewicz about it or read an interview, but it it makes me think he must have maybe on some level enjoyed doing this because I think he... At that point, he probably could have drawn any cover that he would have wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah, if he yeah. went to Marvel, they would have said, you know, put you on Spider-Man or Hulk or whatever. But the fact that he kept doing Dazzler covers makes me think, you must add maybe some affection for this character. Sure. Right. So, You're probably right. Yep. So uh, let's talk about this story. It is called Hell. Hell is for Harry. It is by the <laughs> aforementioned Danny Fingerod, uh, Frank Springer, and Vince Coletta. So... <laughs> Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, we open at the offices of Osgood Productions, where Harry Osgood is watching and grimacing over a videotape of Dazzler. We then cut to Dazzler, a.k.a. Allison Blair's apartment, where she's preparing a dinner for her boyfriend, Paul. Hey, Paul. 
But date night is interrupted when Harry calls and demands to see Allison immediately. Harry demands to know how Allison pulled off the amazing light show seen on the tape. Allison doesn't want to reveal that she did it herself because she uh, doesn't want she doesn't want it known in society that she is a mutant. When Harry pushes her, Allison gets scared and mad and walks out, perhaps ending her partnership with Harry for good. Later, Harry's assistant is watching another of Osgood Productions' acts when the room is broken into by the crooked trio known as the Enforcers. They smash up the place, telling everyone that the Tech Master sends his regards. Harry, hearing all this from the outside, goes white at the mention of the name. The Enforcers report back to Tech Master, and we see he has metallic hands and a deeply deformed face. He vows revenge on Harry Osgood. Allison, now eating dinner alone, hears a knock on the door. It's Harry, scared and on the run. He tells Allison the story of Techmaster, who was an employee of Harry's who excelled at light shows and other spectacular production effects. One night on New Year's Eve, he wanted to try an effect that would produce no less than lightning bolts inside of a concert hall. Harry, saying it wouldn't be safe, told Techmaster to forget it. But he didn't. And then it all goes wrong, leaving the man horribly scarred and having to have his hands amputated. He blames Harry for what happened and has vowed revenge ever since. The enforcers, following Harry, break in Allison's apartment and kidnap him. The muscle member of the group, Ox, crushes Allison's phone, which cows her enough into not acting. She then calls the cops, but they aren't any help. She finds the enforcer's hideout where Harry is trussed up. Allison had hoped the cops or Harry's assistant, Lance, would arrive to help in time, but she realizes she's there on her own. Turning up the stereo, she finally uses her light powers to blast the enforcers and help Harry escape. She runs into more of Techmaster's armed goons and uses her powers on them too and unlocks her roller skate shoes so she can evade the enforcers on her trail. She zaps them again and then the cops arrive. Later, Harry doesn't understand why Allison didn't want to reveal her powers, but she insists she wants it to remain a secret. Harry agrees. On her way home, an armed man corners Allison in an alley and tells her to get into the limo, the very same car that's been following Allison around all issue. She agrees as an int- and is introduced to Mr. Meeker. Next issue, The Secret of Mr. Meeker. Okay. That so, didn't bring you back, Rob? That didn't bring you back to the next yeah, issue? Yeah, Mr. Mr. Meeker, we all remember. He's, uh, he's, he's going to be the, the big bad in phase four of the MCU. Uh, so, okay. Again, we'll go through the scenes, but overall, what was your impression of this comic? I, I enjoyed it. it. You know, please story. I thought it was interesting. You know, I, at the beginning, I thought it was going to be that she was, um, you know, pretty, acting pretty wimpy. But uh, she, she really had a, a couple of heroic moments, you know, even though Harry sort of doesn't treat her too well, she's, you know, she stands up for him and rescues him at the end. So I like that. Um, I don't usually like Frank Springer art, right? He, he did, obviously, The Invaders. He did some Batman. Um, uh, I really enjoyed a lot of his stories in, in terms of writing, but I, I never really liked his art. But I, I think, you know, much to your chagrin, I think Vince did him, did him a solid on this issue. Uh, Allison is very attractive. Uh, I think that's where uh, Vince uh, spent his time on on <laughs> Allison's face and everything. So overall, I enjoyed it. You know, it's not um, you know next week. I'm not sure I'll remember a lot of the story points, but it was it was fun. Okay, so you know, obviously, I read it at the time when I would have mm-hmm. bought it in 1981, and then I read it again like a week ago for this this record. It's been sitting on my spinner rack all this time. Um, I, I, I can only, you know, I'm trying to think of what would my reaction would have been in when I was 10. Yeah. And what's my reaction now? Obviously, maybe, you know, supposedly a little different. Uh, at 10, I would have just been like, nope, never going to buy this again. You know, forget it. Reading it now, I 
see that, yeah, they are. Marvel was trying to do something a little different. Mm-hmm. This was clearly a soap opera comic right. with superpowers thrown in because that's how you're going to sell it. Because, you know, they weren't romance comics were out by 1981. Uh, and they, you know, they weren't going to do, you know, their version of Night Nurse or whatever. Right. So they had to work in some sort of superheroic angle. But it really is the whole story. I mean, yeah, you got the Enforcers again. You know, the Enforcers, not, <laughs> you know, not exactly Doctor Doom or anything. But, but okay, you know, they, you know, they're kind of low level villains, and they they came from the Spider Man comic in the early days. But like, you can see that they're trying to do kind of like a soap opera comic mm-hmm. uh, with just some superhero action thrown in. And, you know, you got to appreciate as superhero comics were just, you know, completely taking over the comic book, uh, well, at least DC and Marvel medium, uh, you know, here's Marvel trying to push the other direction Mm -hmm. and maybe give something that that young girls would like. Mm -hmm. And they are to be commended for that. Now, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I was a little shocked at was the angle that like eight issues in, she's still kind of... Allison is still sort of like, I'm uncomfortable using my powers and I'm uncomfortable. I'm nervous. You know, like, I mean, the the point where the enforcers come in and basically bully her into not doing anything and let, they let, she lets them steal or kidnap Harry. It's like, wow, that's, that's usually the kind of character arc that they solve by the end of the first issue. And then they're a superhero, but wow, we're, I'm like, we're eight issues in and she's still kind of a little mousy. And, That's another thing where at 10, that would have frustrated me. To, you know, I would have been like, oh, come on. What is you this? You got these powers. Why not? You got these powers. You know, I blew something up. You know, yeah. but as a, as, a, as I laughingly call an adult, I appreciate that, wow, Danny Fingeroff is kind of playing the long game here. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of cool. Like the moment where they kind of just intimidate her into not doing it. I mean, yeah, Ox crushes her phone, but that's not, yeah, that's not that big of a deal. But that's a that's an unusual moment in a superhero comic yeah. where the villain just really kind of, afraid. There yeah. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, uh, yeah. Okay. I'm kind of on, on board with this. And so it's the kind of thing where, yeah, 10, no sale, but at this age, I appreciated they were trying to do something different. Yeah. Well, like I said, I went back after I read the one, it, you know, this, just this issue into the, this digital masterworks and I read them and, and it was a little more uneven because there were a couple other writers prior to, to Danny Fingeroth. This was his first or his second issue. I forget which. So I think he was taking And so she was a, a slightly more assertive than one or two others, but she had a lot of guest stars. I mean, she stood up to Dr. Doom for goodness sakes in her like <laughs> second or third issue. That's right. I was joking about Dr. Doom, but yeah, she yeah. He was in the she, book. Yeah, she was in the book. And so they had tons of guest stars throughout all these first few issues. So this is one of the first ones where she was really, you know, pulling her weight by herself. Right. And they had to pull in some Spidey Mort villains to uh, <laughs> to help her out. But yeah, no, I agree with you. I think uh, it's it, it, like I said, it was it was like, ah, oh, is it going to be like that when I got to you know when I was in that scene, and she was really waiting for Lance to come save her and the mm-hmm. police, and then uh, it, then then you know Lance is otherwise occupied, as we'll find out. But um, then she she takes care of it, and I, I thought that was a pretty good heroic moment. So I, I was on board. Something else I noticed too is that it's it's uh, it's very it's a dense story. Very dense. Yes. Uh, I mean, like the first, you know, the opening splash page is is Harry and Lance uh, looking at Dazzler on the screen. By the way, am I am I picking up the subtext that they're throwing down with 
with Harry and Lance, right? Am I the only one that sees that? <laughs> I don't know. Lance is always in that outfit. <laughs> okay, he's always in that outfit? Okay. Yeah, I mean, he... okay, all right. It's just Harry's a lot older. Lance is this muscle-bound guy, and he's, and he's in, like, a tank top. It's like, why are you wearing that in an office? Like, what, is, what, is, what is that? And, you know, the name Lance back then was Coat. You know what I mean? So, okay, yeah. all right, all right. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, but like, page two, ten panels. Yeah. Page three, nine panels. Page four, nine panels. And, like, There's a lot most, of words. A lot of words and a lot of action. Just a lot of action beats that Frank Springer had to break down because there was a, there's a lot of story here. I mean, there's a lot going on and that's, it's, you know, it's dense. And that, again, that kind of goes back to that whole notion mm. that it's a little bit like a super, a soap opera story yeah. because there's yeah. just a lot of interpersonal drama because then when you get to an action scene, if you want to, you can kind of draw one or two panels to convey a lot of action. Yeah. But uh, when you have people talking, there's a limit to how many word balloons and you can have in any given panel and you got to eventually have a second panel where they keep talking. You know, well, what I like, even if you go back to this, this first page after the, after the splash page, right. She's in the kitchen having a kitchen disaster, which I did think was funny. Right. And there's a, that's a soap opera. And then the boyfriend shows up and uh, you know, and, and they use the, the cameras zooming in and out, which I, I thought was pretty good. Uh, you know, during the whole scene, you know, and, and I thought she looked very attractive, especially in that second panel. Uh, and, um, you know, it was really, well, I thought, you know, you, you got through the story it moves you through the story very well, I thought. And then, you know, they go to the next page, which is a lot of exposition on the next page. You get the guy following her, which we don't find out that well, later we find out he's Mr. Meeker, but we don't still don't know what Mr. Meeker wants to do with Allison. But, uh, anyway, I thought it was, I thought it was, uh, well done at least conveying the story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, this is the scenes with the, the enforcers are are fun. I mean, again, they're kind of like, you know, all right, you know, they're not the most. They're 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 definitely of their time of when they yeah. were created, which is the early. I think they appeared in like yeah, Spider-Man, Spider-Man number eight yeah, or something, really, like really early, early on. Really I mean, yeah. right, right when they were just creating all these iconic villains, issue after Doc Ock and the Vulture and the Scorpion, and you know, and then it's like the enforcers, you know, and they. <laughs> They, the one guy's in the cowboy hat and the other guy dresses kind of like a mobster from the forties. And then you've got ox, um, you know, they, they, they haven't dre- They haven't updated their uniforms. No, they have not. <laughs> They're the same clothes. I same like clothes. the, oh, just, just prior to that. One thing I had to mention is, you know, uh, Harry and Lance were trying to get her to uh, disclose her secret, how she does the light effects. And, Allison like gets mad and slams that, you know, slams out a door and slams the door on the way out and says, sit on it. <laughs> and I laughed out loud. And I'm like, wait, surely happy days had to have been done by now. But I looked it up and happy days ran until 1984. So the phones was still on the air when this was coming out. And I just <laughs> laughed out loud when I saw that. So that was, I, I couldn't go, let that go without mentioning it. Allison likes to watch the uh, ABC Tuesday night lineup. <laughs> That's Absolutely. right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, Laverna Trilly and Three's Company. Yeah, she's she's on board with this stuff. Um, art wise, I, I, again, I don't yeah. I don't want to get on this because we've already bashed yeah. him a lot. But like, I, just Vince Coletta with the inking, like the reveal of Techmaster, right where we see his face. It's supposed to be horrifying because yeah. he's scarred, but it just looks kind of indistinct. Looks like you know, he has cellophane or, or yeah, plastic wrap on his face. Yeah, it doesn't. Now that's partly Frank Springer 
But we also know Vince liked to erase things. And I just, it, you're just like, it's supposed to be like, oh God, look at this guy. And instead it just, yeah, it looks like he's got like a, a Ziploc bag over his face and it melted. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, oh, okay. You Notice know. his office was in the World Trade Center. I noticed that, yes. Yes, and, yeah. and in case the goons didn't remember who he was, he has a nice nameplate on his desk. This is <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> and the enforcers uh, are like really skeeved out by his hands. I thought that was funny. They're all like surprised in that middle panel. Look at his like, hands. <laughs> He's taking off with his gloves. <laughs> <laughs> who are you guys to criticize? What are you talking about? What's that yeah, about? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, the flashback to how... Techmaster became Techmaster. He's sort of funny. I mean, it is like, you know, he's like, I'm going to create lightning bolts inside of a closed uh, concert hall. You're like, well, yeah. that's ridiculous. I mean, you know, come on, Harry. Harry's telling you the right thing. And another, again, and I don't mean to be negative, but like another panel where the thing just falls is that panel where uh, the bottom of the flashback page where Harry is like ghostly white yeah. and he's sweating telling the story. Like, that just doesn't it just doesn't land because yeah. I just think the inking is just like, so yeah. kind of slapdash. Yeah. I have to mention during the sequence, we see Allison in her like house robe. And I have to say, Sean and I on Batman family reunion are generally obsessed with uh, Barbara Gordon's outfits, <laughs> but Allison's robe is not, not impressed. Does not hold a candle to, uh, to uh, a lot of uh, Babs's outfits. Uh, I, have to say. <laughs> I also think, you know, they mentioned that, um, Many died or were injured in the roaring inferno. Yep. And you would think someone like Harry or the tech master would have been in jail after this, but no, he's got his own business in the world trade center. The recording <laughs> it, industry's, you know, kind of dodgy. So, you I know, guess so. he paid uh, off some people and he got, you know, got away with it. And I guess, I guess cause they thought tech master was dead. Yeah. Maybe. That that's why, you know, or whatever. But, uh, so, um, then they said the enforcers, show up uh they you know they throw her around and stuff and then yeah it's you know it's not bad uh, again now i will say in terms of like the good girl art there's there's a panel where she's like i have to change my clothes because you mean ox smashes her phone and then you know and then she's like she sits in her apartment for a while and then she's like i have to you know leave and call the cops and she says i better change and call the cops and there is a full-on panel of her in her underwear <laughs> For no reason. There's no good reason for that panel other than just to throw in as much TNA as a code-approved comic can get in 1991. And here, I think Vince took his time on that panel. And in that introduction I read by Danny Fingeroth, he said something about that it was more common in the Dazzler comic book to have the uh, to have her, you know, in her underwear. I kind of wish, <laughs> kind of wish, fifteen-year-old me had known that. But, um, but anyway. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of reminds me of. Um, did you ever watch The Sopranos? Did you watch that show? Uh, I have not seen it. No. There's Believe a char- there's a character on that show, uh, Adriana, who's like the mm-hmm. the wife of one of the you know low level mob guys, and I uh, I had never seen the show up until fairly recently, and then I rewatched it. Kelly had seen it, and we re- re- you know I went mm-hmm. through it for the first time, and she was rewatching it. So watching it condensed all like seven seasons in the space of like four months or whatever it was, I was like, wow. This show is always just managing to catch Adriana as she's changing clothes to go to work or come back from work. What are the odds of that? And it's well, it's because the show is full of a bunch of doughy Italian guys with their double chins, and they got to find some way to get some TNA in here outside of the Bada Bing Club. So it's like, oh, Adriana's coming home, and oh, she's in her underpants again. Like, oh, what are the what are the odds of that? When you watch the show condensed like that, you really notice it. And that's, that's what funny. this scene felt to me. I'm like. 
why are we watching? You don't need this panel. Allison could just say, I better go outside and call the cops. And that could be the next panel. Like, I I think I figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, um, you know, I do, I do like though. She, she tracks them down at this, um, at this, you know, place where the, the uh, concert hall used to be it's an abandoned supermarket where the concert hall used to be there right and and so i I, again this is the part i i I was impressed that she had enough stick with itness if that's a word to go after them and she gets cornered of course uh and and caught um i i do have to say there's a panel on uh the page uh when she arrives at the, the supermarket and where she says suddenly, and the guy goon behind her says, "Freeze, lady!" And she says, "Oh!" And boy, she looked like—I don't know if you ever read the the comic Johnny Thunder with an eye. Oh, uh, sure, the Dick Dick Jordan. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. she looks just like because she would button her shirt up to that and sort of wore like a man's suit. And she looked in that panel. I thought, man, that looks just like Dick <laughs> Jordan's Johnny Thunder. Yep. So, yeah, I never thought about that, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely it, right. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Um, the next page, though, Rob, page 14, I think it is, yeah. where she turns up the Muzak, mm-hmm. my favorite page, because she turns up the Muzak, she's, oh, I'll, before I see them doing it, that, that box must be where they control the Muzak for the, for the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> and then she says, April Fool's, suckers, and bless the guys. And then she pops on the detachable roller skates onto go. her high heels. I just thought, and I found out later after I read some of the others, that was a thing. Like she would just pop these roller skates on. It's not like she had to change her shoes to put her roller skates on. I just thought this was a riot. I, I did enjoy that. That panel where they color her red. Yeah. And that's the closest we get to the cover moment. Like right. that's what Sinkevich and Jansen are doing yeah. is that Either moment. That or, Cause they do catch her later and, and give her kind of a rough beating, mm-hmm. which, which I was a little surprised. And then she eventually gets fed up. So I think the red definitely comes from here, but the determination where she has had enough of getting beat up uh, is from a couple of pages later, but you know, who knows? It doesn't exactly happen. Like obviously like on the cover. It's kind of funny you meant now that now that you've mentioned it that she looks like Johnny Thunder. Yeah. I'm seeing it there because when she turns into just that panel where she turns into kind of pure light, then she looks a little like the Thunderbolt. Yes, there. Yeah. So I mean, she still has legs. The Thunderbolt. And she's wearing white. Legs. The, the suit that she's wearing yep. is white, which I believe is the color of Johnny Thunder's outfit. Yep, absolutely. Yep. So I think that's that's what reminded it reminded me of when, when doing it. Yeah, I like the uh, I do like the skates. That's yes. a fun, you know, that's a fun bit. And like uh, the top of a couple of pages later, she's got some good, you know, roller skating action around the 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 the, uh, the aisles of the supermarket. It's pretty funny. Oh no, they put a bunch of grocery carts in front of me. I'm gonna have to jump over. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. Was yeah. dying. That's fine. Uh, yeah, and they like they they do they beat her up. They, yes. uh the the one page where uh the the i forget the, i only know ox i only know the name one guy's name is ox yeah, i don't forget yeah. the name of the two guys but they like one guy punches her in the face and mm-hmm. another guy punches her in the stomach it's like yeah. geez yeah, and then ox is about to plaster her before she you know really you know says she had enough so i i you know i give her props for for sticking in there because right? her her powers aren't physical right they're they're distracting and they're bright basically and yeah. blinding right so she doesn't she's not like she's green lantern to make a giant you know boxing glove or something to punch these guys she <laughs> has to she has to get them to back off and then avoid them somehow um so you know it's it's an interesting mix right of, of the kind of cow the powers that she has so and then she's 
thinks she's super smart by throwing a can of peas out the window to bring the cops. <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy that. Um, the next to last page has got next to last page has got I think another ten panels after yes. not, and then it's like you know normally at the end of the story you would want a couple of bigger panels to kind of like really have like a nice kapow moment. But again, that's how much story I think is going on that Frank Springer just doesn't have the room yeah. to do that. You know, so you've got the last the last you can kind of you know, like like when you scan through an old comic, mm-hmm. you know, if you're looking at it online or just you're holding it in your hand. And if you're not really paying attention to what page you're at, when you get to like the big paneled pages, that's when you kind of know, oh, I'm getting near the end of the story, mm-hmm. you know? But here I'm like, wow, I got 10 panels, nine panels, nine panels. Like it's, it's a Keeps dense going. story all until the very end. Keeps going. Yeah. I mean, I've been reading a lot of these. So now this is 1981. So the stories that we're reading right now and Batman family are a few years, you know, four or five years before that. And they're all just, you know, I kind of like that about Bronze Age comics, right? There, there's a lot of action, a lot of story happening in there. And sometimes it can be wordy, but, you know, it's better than a lot of the deconstructed stuff that we get sometimes now. Oh, and they're giving you your money's worth. No Absolutely. doubt about that. I mean, for 50 cents, this yeah. thing probably took me, you know, a long time to read. Sure. You know, uh, and so that's a yeah, good, uh, good value for your, your 50 cents. And then the story wraps up where Harry is, uh, he's sort of like in his mind, he's like, he's forever... Uh, bound, you know, bound to Allison, and he's like, you know, you, you're, we're going to be partners forever because he likes her so much, and though he respects her decision to not want to be uh, revealed as a mutant. And there is even a flashback panel where she was revealed as a mutant to a small group of people, and they're kind of mm-hmm. insulting her. And you know, that's the whole X Men thing of their mm-hmm. the racist kind of you know calling her muty and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So then um, she gets grabbed in an alleyway. And of course the guy that grabs her has got these special glasses. <laughs> so that way, if she tries to do the flash thing, it won't work. I love that. He mentions it. So he's like, I got special glasses. Don't even bother that one. Uh, yeah. And he puts her in the car and then his name is Mr. Meeker. And then the next is next issue, the secret of Mr. Meeker. And I, you know, again, I know the book is more soap opera, but it just doesn't, like that doesn't the name just doesn't make you want to be like, Woo, yeah, what's yeah. that about? Mr. Meek. I mean, you know, they yeah. it probably would have been goofy if he had had a superhero name. Yeah. Uh but it just it just it just kind of lands on like all right, who's Mr. Meeker? Am I supposed to yeah. come back for this? But yeah. all right. Yeah, I wouldn't have come back for the villain. The the this the what I did find was interesting. I'd like I said, I thought Harry was kind of jerky to her. And uh and upon reading the earlier issues, that that's consistent. Uh, but, you know, I'm curious if, you know, he, he says he's going to, you know, be more supportive of, of her going forward. I'm, I'm curious as to whether that continues. I haven't read past it yet. I, I read up up to it, but now I want to read <laughs> the rest of the two masterworks that I have. And um, so I, I am interested enough to do that. But but yeah, no, it, it's it's I don't think you're buying this for the um, for the, um, the 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 villains. and no. uh, the fisticuffs. No, no. Uh, by the way, Harry's. Uh, my favorite line of Harry's is in the very first page where he says, Last Lance, no matter how many times we view this videotape, my puzzlement remains as pungent as ever. <laughs> and I just feel like that's Danny Fingeroff just having some fun with <laughs> purple prose well, of, you know. Uh, apparently, and I didn't notice this because later on, uh, after Harry is upset and comes to her apartment, she says something to the effect, I, I didn't notice this because she said that, you know, Harry was talking almost normally. So apparently he talks like that all the time. It's a character oh, trait. Okay. And I, and, and that is true when I read the earlier issues. And so where is it? Um, I'm trying to find what page it's on. 
you know, Harry was really upset. He's talking almost, almost normally. Oh, so that's, his, yeah, that's yeah. Top thing. of page okay. where he comes into the house and she's eating after she's eating. He goes, he didn't even hear me. And he's talking like a normal person. Something's wrong. Really? Oh, wrong. okay. So yeah, he tries to be uh, over, you know, just puffed himself up. So again, I'm kind of interested in this character and, and their sort of uncle niece relationship. Uh, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Can you imagine like what this might have looked like though? Like I could see like a John Romita drawing this, like in his. He drew the first issue, and it, oh, in like beautiful. his best romance style though. Like this would have been well. Oh, Let me see who boy. the anchor was. Let me back up. Well, yeah, there you. That's true. Yeah, it's. I. I well, all right. I just. I. I feel like it's like when you're when you're starting a new book, and you're you're probably realizing that you're you're it's an uphill climb because yeah. you're selling it to girls, you know, at mm-hmm. a time where girls were kind of leaving comic mainstream comics, mm-hmm. and then you saddle it with. I just like, well, what are you doing to it? You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, pretty. The first issue is pretty. It's uh, Romita. Uh, oh, Jr. Junior. I misread that. It's Jr. Junior and uh, Alfredo Acala was the. Uh, wow, that's an was, interesting combination. It is. It's it's you know she looks good. I mean it's it's better looking than what we got in this issue. Um, but it's got that yeah, painted X-Men, cover too. It's yeah, the really painted nice. cover is kind of neat. Um, it looks better. Uh, the enchantress is in it. She looks good. It's like I got fifty guest stars in the issue. So <laughs> it was pretty busy. They were but, smart. They were smart. Larded up with guest stars. Get people yeah, to, yeah. to buy the book. So, yeah. so yeah, it's it's a, you know it, it's a mountain comic. It, I remember yeah. buying it. I remember reading it. Like I said, it was it was in in the pilots of mountain comics. It was a one and done. You know, it yep. was some some books I read and said wow, this is cool. And then I kept buying them. When I got home, I made sure to like keep buying, you know, Marvel team up or whatever. Uh, but this one now, this was it. This is the one and done. And, and I never picked up another issue of Dazzler, uh, even though the book ran for another couple of years and I would have probably seen it uh, mm-hmm. selling the book. And I was, but I was like, no, no sale at that point. But looking back, looking back on it now, uh, I, you know, it's got its flaws, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I agree. It's not, you know, not my favorite, but I enjoyed it enough to, uh, to you know, uh, invest a little bit of time in reading, reading some of the other issues, and it's fun. You know, like I said, I, I'm, I'm enjoying these days reading a lot of these books that I never read before, even if they're in genres that I didn't uh, read when I was uh, back in the, my own golden, golden age, right? And she's a, she's a movie star now. She was in one of the X-Men movies. So She was. I got to think they're going to bring her back in a in a bigger way. Cause you know, they could do something with her character. I think. Oh, sure. Um, and probably have some neat effects. So, um, I think they, I don't, I don't even remember that. I know she was in one of those X-Men movies. I don't even remember the scene. It wasn't very memorable, uh, in my head, but you know, I don't, you know. I don't, I think it was X-Men apocalypse, which I, I yeah. have not seen, but I do know that she's in it. Like <laughs> it is all I know, yeah. but I don't actually never see that movie. So yeah, I, saw it once uh, <laughs> rental, well, so i don't remember very well. really landed on you yeah. so uh well well paul i mean thank you for for coming by the cabin i really yes. appreciate it i, I always you. wanted very to much get you on the show and this was fun to talk about uh yeah. you know a, a, this was on the list this dazzler has been on the list of mound comics for i think at least the beginning and no one ever picked it <laughs> so i kept bump i kept moving it because i only do about six of these per per year so then uh, whatever ones we didn't get to bump them down to the next season so now we're we're full on like season five of mountain comics and finally somebody was brave enough to get to dazzler so, so for that i appreciate it my pleasure i, I had to tell the listeners it was funny because uh when you when you sent me the list and i said i'll do dazzler number eight you texted me back and you said 
I don't know what I thought you were going to pick, but it wasn't that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. I assumed I Dazzler was just going to be like season 12 of the show or whatever, it is, <laughs> however long it lasts. But, but no, so we, we got to it. Very excited about it. So, Paul, thank you so much for Thanks for, for having me, Rob. By. I enjoyed my visit at the cabin. I'm going to take a dip in the lake before I head home. <laughs> Why don't you tell people uh, where they can find you here on the network? So, um, every uh, the first Wednesday of every month, check us out with my uh, bat cousin, Sean Myers, and uh, the Batman Family Reunion. Uh, we have been enjoying. We're uh, about to drop issue number six, which will be coming out the first week in June. And uh, we're getting to some of the really good stuff now with uh, Bob Rosakis and the Joker's daughter and, and uh, those types of stories. So hopefully people will really enjoy them. Uh, I also, uh, coming soon, depending on when this drops, uh, just did an episode with Siskoid uh, on Who's Editing, um, where we talked about issue number 17 of Who's Who, creating a whole new lineup of, of uh, DC characters. So that was really fun and a lot of work. Uh, and anybody <laughs> wants to just... Uh, Ping me, uh, Paul Ken on Facebook is probably the easiest place to, to ping me, and, uh, and I'll certainly uh, get back to you. All right. So check the show out, everybody. Uh, I got anyone listening to this is already listening to Batman Family Reunion, but in case you're not, check it out. It's an absolutely great show. We're very happy to have it here on the network. So uh, normally, this is where I would wrap up the show, but I want to cover a little bit of listener feedback that built up over the last couple of episodes. So we're going to get to that. First, I'm going to play some uh, podcast promos. Uh, and then on the other side, I will get to the listener feedback. So stay tuned, everybody. Hey, Ryan, I know we're taking a break from Batman Nightcast, but I've been thinking about the Nightfall storyline where Jean-Paul Valley temporarily took over the role of Batman. I see where you're going with this. If you were ever paralyzed, I would be honored to take care of Cindy and your kids. Uh, no, that's not where I was going. I was thinking about all the many characters who have filled in for Bruce Wayne as Batman over the years. Dick Grayson, Tim Drake. Commissioner Gordon, for some reason. Yeah, that did happen. Anyway, on the subject of temporary replacements. Your son Andrew is going to take over Supermates? No. Focus on Batman. Why is this so hard? While we're away from Nightcast for a while longer, someone could come in and do a Batman-related show for the Fire & Water Network. Well, I know Paul Keen loves the Batman Family comic book. I've seen Sean M. Myers post a few things about Batman Family, too. Do you think they'd... We'll do it! For those of you who aren't familiar with the series, Batman Family was a DC comic that ran for 20 issues from 1975 to 1978 and then rescued Detective Comics from the DC implosion by continuing as a dollar comic for 15 more issues until 1980. The title started out with new features starring Batgirl and Robin, along with reprints before morphing into all new stories starring other members of the Batman family, such as the Huntress, Commissioner Gordon, Man-Bat, and even Ragman and the Demon. So you're all invited to the Batman Family Reunion podcast, taking over the Batman Nightcast feed. Coming in January to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. This could be the sensational podcast find of 2022. Where am I? In the Palace of Glittering Delights. Who are you? I am Andrew Leyland, and for over 200 episodes, I have covered everything genre-related, from the obvious things that everyone talks about, Star Trek, to deep dives into the early issues of The Amazing Spider-Man, via the obscure, such as ITC's experimental science fiction dramas The Champions or Department S. It's very cosmopolitan, you never know who you meet next. In the Palace of Glittering Delights... 
Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Available from Two True Freaks and via your podcatcher of choice. And we're back with listener feedback. Now, of course, normally I cover listener feedback at the final episode of any given season of Mountain Comics. But uh, because I did the two kind of special shows last year, uh, I didn't get a chance to do them. So I want to make sure I cover the feedback for those two shows. Plus, I want to do uh, just a little bit of the feedback that we got on the final episode of the previous season, which is Mountain Comics number 31. So I'm not going to be reading all the comments. I'm just picking a couple from each show. Uh, so the, again, the, the first one we're going to be doing is the feedback from Mountain Comics number 31, which was Kazar number eight with my guest, Matt Sorice. And we got comments from Jay Effingham Bellwether, Chris Franklin, Mick Jameson, Martin Gray, Paul Wildenberger, Matt Ev, and Edo Boznar, who says, first things first, one, loved Matt's story about his mother calling dibs on Mad Magazine. So awesome. Two, there's a Mountain Comics to-do list. And now to the meat of the show. Excellent choice for an issue because Kazar the Savage was a great series. The first issue I bought back then was number three and I was immediately hooked. I love the writing, the snappy dialogue between Kazar and Shanna and naturally Anderson's spectacular art. And yeah, Kazar talking like a normal human instead of a noble savage started with this series. A later issue explained why his speaking style changed. Rob, I can sympathize with you not being able to find any other issues. For whatever reason, Kazar was pretty hard to find on the spinner racks. That's why I missed the first two issues and always had trouble finding it month to month. That problem and the fact that it went direct market only prompted me to buy a subscription, although not long after that, I discovered my first comic book shop. By the way, the third Marvel title, besides KJR and Moon Knight, that went direct market only was Micronauts. You kick her wrong getting more issues of the series. I'm not much into collecting single issues anymore, but next year an omnibus collecting the entire series is going to be published. I may just get it, even though it will break my bank. Anyway, great joke. Kudos to both you and Matt for having such a great conversation. Remind me, one of my favorite series back in the day. Well, thank you, Edo. And yes, um, the Mountain Comics to-do list is what I mentioned uh, on previously with Paul, is um, I have a list of all the comics that I remembered buying while I was up in the Poconos on the mountains. And that's the list that I send to my guests, and they pick which book they want to do. Once in a while, I like to assign somebody, if they, you know, I have a particular guest that I really want to talk about a particular book with, but for the most part, I like to guess. So that's the, that's the to-do list. And there's you know more comics than we have gotten to even at, at uh, five seasons uh, already of the show. But that's that's what I'm referring to as the to-do list item. And then uh, one other comment I wanted to, to highlight from the Kazar was from Cheryl Sorois, Matt's mom, who said, I'm the Mad Magazine hoarding mother of Matt Sorois. I loved and still do love Matt. Matt brings me one every now and then. Last month, I was hospitalized and couldn't have visitors due to COVID. Matt actually brought me up some nostalgic back issues. I encouraged Matt and his comic mania because he hated to read in school. I was just happy to see him read. I signed for him at the comic store so he could buy graphic novels. Read on, son. Oh, I didn't know uh, how graphic they were, but he was still reading. That is probably the most charming comment I've ever gotten on an episode of Mountain Comics and will probably be the most charming comment I've ever got, I will ever get on an episode of Mountain Comics. Um, Matt's story about his mom buying a man magazine I thought was so charming. Everyone loved it, and it was just so great that she chimed in here on the comments. So uh, good on you, Mrs. Royce, for uh, making sure uh, young Matt Royce uh, read, because obviously it worked out. So again, thank you so much for that comment. Uh, so regarding the comments uh, for episode Mountain Comics number 32, Batman number 353, with my guest Chris Franklin, uh, we got comments from Captain Entropy, Rob McCarthy, Isamu Hideke Yukinori, Edo Boznar, Lizanne Oswald, Paul Kien, hey Paul, Santaron, Ward Hill Terry, and then Matt Royce, who says, I was super excited to see Mountain Comics on the feed this morning. I will have me take one episode over no episodes. In fact, with Chris on board, 
and the one-off nature of the story, this could have been a Power Records. The story would have been perfect for a Power Records audio adventure. I agree with you there, man. The reason I love Mountain Comics is the memories it brings back, and boy, do I have memories of this book. It's quite possibly the most perfect Bronze Age issue of Batman, of Batman, iconic hero and his most iconic villain with a cover that perfectly sums up the story. This comic was among a stash of books I kept in my clubhouse slash fort under my desk in the corner of the living room, where I would hide away the reading the, the uh, adventures of my favorite heroes. This was one of my favorites. Decades later, when my mother was getting rid of the desk, my brother and I went back home to help move it out to the curb. As we removed the drawers to make it easier to carry, we found this comic along with a few issues of Spider-Man still hidden under the drawers. Thank you, Rob and Chris, for once again bringing back fond memories. Whenever Mountain Comics returns, I'll be happily standing by. It's always worth the wait. Well, thank you very much, Matt. I appreciate the kind words. Uh, Matt Dinas says, hooray, there still is Mountain Comics and still as enjoyable as ever. Well done on the coverage of a fantastic comic. The coverage is just amazing and the inside stories are gorgeous as well. While this era was not my Batman phase, I wish it was my Batman phase. Like you guys mentioned, this Bronze Age Batman is, to me, who Batman should be and not the darkity dark dark sociopath that Batman is today. Batman should be able to take down a homicidal maniac and then, on the next page, sell me some hostess fruit pies. I did have a question for Rob, though. I know this isn't in the purview of Mountain Comics, but if there was ever a Mountain Comic that you saw in the spinner rack but didn't get, any comics that got away that you wish were Mountain Comics? For me, even though I've got great memories of getting comics on camping trips, I can still remember those three-pack bags or single issues that my parents did not buy me. I was a greedy kid. This was lots of fun. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Mike. Uh, in answer to your question, yes. Um, the way I've been doing this, and I, I really think, I, I, I've said on other podcasts that every comic book related um, podcaster should send Mike's Amazing World some money because that, that is such an invaluable resource, especially his, um, I think it's the time machine feature, he calls it, where you could pick a date and it'll show you every comic by every publisher published in that month which is just so handy, especially for a show like Mountain Comics, because what I do is I just pull up every comic on sale around July of any given year and then August of any given year, because that's would have been those would have been the comics on sale when I was on vacation. And I just kind of do it by memory. I look at the covers, and if the cover really resonates with me, it pops. I know that was a Mountain Comic, because that's when I would have bought it. But there's lots of comics that I didn't get partly because I just didn't get them over other ones and also because they weren't available. They just didn't show up even among the couple of, you know, half dozen newsstands and, and uh, supermarkets that I uh, haunted uh, to buy comics. Not everything showed up all the time. So yeah, there was lots of comics that, that just uh, didn't show up. But yeah, there was, there were some that I didn't get because I you know, can only buy so many, even though I was buying way more than I normally would. I didn't get everything. So yeah, there's lots of books that, um, could have technically been Mountain Comics, but we're not. But uh, luckily, there's still a lot more to get to. So thank you for your question. Uh, and then finally, um, the last episode from last season, which was Mountain Comics number 33, Pyramid and Iron Fist number 75, with my very special guest, Joe Duffy, writer of the comic. We got uh, comments from Captain Entropy, Ryan Daly, Edo Bosnar, Rob McCarthy, Matt Service, Santron, Mike Dynas, Siskoid, Chris Franklin, and Martin Gray, who says... Thank you for a wonderful episode. I was lucky enough to be able to find Paramount and Iron Fist monthly on UK newsstands and loved it. Issue 75 was a particular gem from the amazing Bob Larkin cover to the story and art by Mary Jo Duffy, Carrie Gamble, Ricardo Villagran, and the rest of the creative team. What a lovely surprise to have Mary Jo on a bonus of one of my favorite shows. Uh, that Hercules story Mary Jo mentioned doing with Ricardo Villagran turned out to be Marvel Treasure Edition number 20, 24, starring Hulk. It's not been the subject of a treasure guest yet. 
That's great news. Great news. Maybe Mary Jo will make a return appearance on the network and talk about Welcome to Hotel Macedonia. Love it. Mary Jo's story about having to leave the book. What a terrible business, especially the whispers to her and Dennis Cowan. That series didn't need a new writer. I'm just so grateful that we got the great run that we did. And after having to fight sexism just to get the book, I hope we get more stories by Mary Jo soon. What a lovely story of your long ago encounter with Mary Jo, Rob. A little kindness and grace can do more than make your day. It can change your life. True that, Martin. And uh, yes, it was completely awesome to have Mary Jo on the show. And then finally, uh, one last comment I read from Diablo Frank, who says, the last time I met up with Rob for the pandemic was for the Boston Fan Expo. We found a treasure trove of cheap old black and white industry magazines of the sort that never turn up in Texas. I bought so many that I had to abandon a bunch of clothes and my old Diablo mask to fit them in the luggage. For the flight home, I bought a new. I bought. I brought a few in my carry-on bag. The only one I specifically remember reading was a magazine from the early '80s, possibly a pre-Snooty Comics journal, maybe with a Kevin Nolan X-Men cover, but definitely spotlighting an extensive Mary Jo Duffy interview that I relished. Poetic that the only comics podcast I had downloaded from her first vacation plane ride since the pandemic surprised me with a delightful Duffy reprise. I grew up with Paramount and Iron Fist, and for all my black buddies, and all my black buddies picked it up. A great comic book is its own reward, but to have one popular enough to be published consistently with that caliber of quality was exceptionally precious gem. Shame then when it took a dip and became less reliably circulated sometime after Duffy and Gamble departed the title. Again, it's a drag when any comic loses its way, but sometimes there are greater cultural consequences that can be appreciated by, say, a misguided supposedly liberal ally with highly questionable ethics with regard towards the stewardship of appointed authority. Anyway, excellent company on my trip. Thanks. Thank you very much, Frank. And I'm glad uh, the show could uh, kind of serve as a, a nice uh, uh, dessert to the uh, main course, which was the Comics Journal interview with Mary Jo Duffy. The, uh, I love Comic Journal uh, interviews, especially back in the day, because they were extensive. Uh, they left nothing on the table, as it were. So uh, great. Thank you so much for the comment. So um, that's going to do it for the feedback section. Uh, we'll, get to the, we'll get to the feedback again at the end of the season. But thank you, everybody, for the comments on the, uh, the sort of summer special episodes. I really appreciate it. Big thanks to my pal, Paul Ken, for stopping by, uh, stopping by the cabin and sharing a yoo-hoo with me uh, to read uh, Dazzler and Braid. It was super fun, and I'm really excited to get back to Mountain Comics and looking forward to what we have uh, uh, in store this season. So, as I said, uh, Mountain Comics has its own feed now, so you can subscribe to it on any podcatcher of your choice. Uh, you can also follow the show over on Twitter at FWPMountainCom. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash FWPodcast. And there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. So if you really love Mountain Comics, go to patreon.com slash FWPodcast and let us know. So that's going to do it for this month. We'll be back next month with another Mountain Comic and another special guest. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you then. Bye. Have a summer of summer fun at Mount Airy Lodge or Pocono Gardens. Beautiful rooms, fabulous food, headline entertainment. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Call 966-7210 for reservations at Pocono Gardens and Beautiful Mount Airy Lodge.